right. Well, we are um, actually, for the, for the sake of those of you who are visiting, who are guests here this morning for the baby dedication, here at Connect, we like to um, teach through what we call series, so we'll kind of follow a theme over several weeks, and last week, with it being Valentine's Day, we kicked off a brand new series, and it was called Love, the Heart of the Matter. So we were looking at this very large topic of, of love, we wanted to get to the heart of the matter and see how does that play out in, in our lives, in our relationships, in our uh, marriages, maybe maybe in our friendships, even with our love between us and God. So we've been talking about that, uh, and we'll continue to talk about that over the next few weeks. But um, last week, we kicked off the series, and we were looking at the idea of just relationships, romantic relationships, marriages. And, and we've, we've referred to a movie by the name of Juno. And in that movie, the young lady, her name's Juno, and there's a, a scene where she, she finds herself just having this conversation with her dad. There's, there's broken relationships all around her. And she says, she asks this incredible question that we really kind of spent some time looking at last Sunday. And this was the question that Juno asked. She said, Dad, I just need to know that it's possible for two people to stay happy together forever. In the midst of her life and all these broken relationships around her, she's like, Dad, at 16 years old, I just need to know that it is possible for two people to be together and to stay happy together forever. And I think really the reason that scene stood out so much to me, maybe that question stands up so much to you this morning, is because really deep down in every one of us, that's a question that we're asking as well. In the day and age in which we live, in the society in which we find ourselves, I look around and, and sadly I see evidence sometimes of the contrary, but I want to believe that it is possible for two people to fall in love and to stay happy together forever. And in fact, despite some of what we see around us, I think deep down in every one of us, that's our desire. I think in, in every one of us, we, the, we want to answer that question, yes, I do believe it's possible. In fact, not only do I believe it's possible, I, I believe it's possible in my life. That's my prayer. That's my desire. And I actually think that the reason that's in every one of us is because God kind of imprinted that in our DNA. In the very blueprint of who we are is this, this desire that we are born into this world with that we'll one day find an intimate relationship that we can enter into. Someone that we can make a, I mean, I mean, it's great when you've got friends who you go out with, and maybe some of you ladies, you go out for coffee with some of your friends, and those friendships are great, but I think every one of us has this desire to have a one relationship, a special, intimate relationship that won't just be a short amount of time, but will last forever. I think that's in every one of us. So in our introduction last week, we, we said, yes, we do believe it's possible. And we kind of laid some groundwork as to how we think that can happen. We found ourselves saying, well, we found ourselves saying yes, you know, yes, it is possible for two people to stay together forever. And we came up with what we feel is the key to a successful, long-standing marriage. So if you were here last week, you'll remember that the key we came up with, the solution we came up with is that you have to make love a, a, a verb. That's right. I thought some of you might shout out a lot. That, that helps. But no, make love a verb is the answer I was looking for, okay? Make love a verb. And here's how we came to that conclusion, all right? Here's how we came to that conclusion. We, uh, we looked at a phrase that Jesus said. Jesus was talking one day, and, and a writer by the name of John records this in his account of Jesus' life. He said that Jesus said, a new command I give to you, love one another. 
Love one another. And that seems kind of straightforward and kind of simple, but we really landed on the idea that when Jesus said love one another, he wasn't talking about love as a noun. He was talking about love as a verb. For your relationship to be strong, for your relationship to last a long time, you need to love one another. Love, verb, be loving of one another. You see, the problem is that many of us look at love as a noun, as an object. It's something that you fall into, or sadly, that you can fall out of. And Jesus was saying, no, don't look at love as a noun, an object. Look at it as a verb, something that you play a part in, something that that you can do something about. That was kind of how we set the foundation last week. And this morning, I want to continue on that and say, well, do what? What can we do if love is a verb and we should be doing something in our relationships? What is it that we should be doing? How do we love one another? So we're going to unpack that a little bit here this morning, but let me just um, push the pause button here, time out just for a second, because I know that there are some of you here this morning, uh, you may be single here, Uh, maybe you've not yet found um, the one for you, maybe you've been in a relationship and that didn't work out, Uh, maybe you're single by choice and you're like, you know, I I love my single life, I'm, I'm not looking for a relationship, but I don't want you to switch off at this time. I think there are some some things I'm going to talk about this morning that are going to help you as single people if one day you find yourself in a relationship or even in the meantime, just with every relationship that we all have. Because what, what we're going to look at this morning, it can apply to every relationship in our lives. But what I really want to do is speak to those this morning who are in a a married relationship, a romantic relationship, um, a commitment to a spouse to say, listen, if we apply this in our lives, I really believe that the answer to Juno's question can be yes, it is possible for a couple to stay together forever. So how does that happen? How does it work? Well, we, we kind of alluded to this last week when we, we extended what Jesus said. He didn't just say a new command, I give you, love one another. He actually said, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So Jesus is saying, listen, when I'm saying love one another, I'm not saying, you know, love is a verb. Look around, see how other people are doing it. I'm saying, no, 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 don't take your cue from culture. Look at me. In the way that I've loved, that is how you are to love one another. You see, what Jesus was talking about here was the way that he was loved, and that was a sacrificial love. Jesus laid down his life for us. He gave up his life. It was a sacrificial love, and that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, listen, not only are you to love one another, but in this way, in this sacrificial way. You know, a few years later, a guy by the name of Paul comes along, and Paul was a huge figure in the New Testament. He wrote most of the New Testament. A good, at least half of the New Testament was written by this guy by the name of Paul. And he builds upon what Jesus was teaching. In fact, he, he, he kind of explains even more what it looks like to love one another. Listen to what he says uh, when he's writing to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So when he's explaining what it means, what it looks like to love one another in our, in our relationships, and this morning in particular in our um, married relationships, he says, here's what you need to do. You need to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, let's be honest here this morning. We don't like that word, do we? That idea of submit, it kind of leaves a, can sometimes kind of put a bad taste in our mouth and, and it's just a difficult word. And, and I, I just don't think we like it in general because it sounds like we have to give in or, or you know, it kind of goes against our pride maybe. 
And then what doesn't help is, I think, in the context of relationships, maybe you've, you've heard this word used before, and um, there is a verse where, where Paul says, you know, wives, submit to your husbands. And I know there are some husbands this morning, you've memorized that verse. You're like, hey, honey, have you read this? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get this laminated and uh, just put it up on the wall here, just in case you forget. And, um, and they've abused that verse. You know, they've kind of said, hey, listen, you must. But actually, there's a lot of talk as well to us husbands. Paul talks a lot about submission in our lives as well. In fact, if you read it, there's an even greater onus upon us to submit to God and to submit to one another as well. But the truth is, I think it kind of rubs us up a little bit the wrong way. It goes against our, our pride sometimes. But Paul's saying, listen, here's the key to success in your relationship. Here's the key to a long-standing relationship. It starts by submitting yourselves to one another. What he's saying is, I'm looking here in a relationship for mutual submission. Mutual submission in a relationship means one person saying, you know what? You are the priority in my life. You are the most important thing in my life. And the other person saying, no, 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 no. You, you are the most important thing in my life. Oh, no, no, honey, you. You, you know, it should, if there's an argument it should be having, it should be that argument, you know, over who's the most important. Because Paul is saying, and he, he expands on this when he writes to another um, group of believers um, in a letter called Philippians. In Philippians, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Philippians chapter 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Paul is saying, listen, in all relationships, but especially in the greatest relationship of your life, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Don't be selfish. Don't focus on your needs, but focus on the needs of the one that you love. Do something. Love the verb. Do something in your relationship for the one that you love. Submit to the one that you love. You know, as I was studying for this message and preparing and reading and researching, I, I kind of came across this idea of what, what that would look like in your relationship. Have you ever been to a wedding? I'm sure every one of us has been to a wedding at some point in our lives and we've been and there's this large gathering of people. Maybe it was a church, maybe it was outdoors, but wherever it was, it was a beautiful occasion. Who is the most important person in the room? The bride. Did you still say the pastor? It's not, it's the bride. <laughs> He's pretty important. He kind of legalizes it. But, uh, but no, the bride, exactly. The bride is the most important person in the room, followed in a very distant second place by the groom, okay? But the bride, she's beautiful. She's in the dress. And when everyone arrives, I don't care how important you are. When you arrive at a wedding, she is the most important person in the room. The bride is the most important person in the room. Think of it like this. Maybe you've been in a gathering somewhere and there's been an important person in that gathering. It could have been a dignitary or somebody famous and uh, maybe somebody high up in the business. Maybe you work and you're in a meeting and one of the top guys from the company was in the room and there's just a sense of respect and esteem for that person, isn't there? You don't just walk up to them and slap them on the back and say, hey, <laughs> you know, or I want to complain or I want to say, you know, there's a sense of respect for this person deserves honor because of who they are and their standing in the community or the standing in the organization. So whether it's a bride or whether it's somebody who's very important, you now know what it's like to be in an environment where somebody in the room is, is esteemed, is valued. And, and that's what we should look for in our relationships. When I was reading about this and this idea of submitting to one another, I was thinking, man, it's almost like we should be looking to our spouse as the most important person in the room. She's like the bride at the wedding. 
She's like the VIP at the event. When I'm with my spouse, she is the most important person. Listen to how Paul explains this. He goes on in Philippians chapter 2. He says, in humility of mind, value others above yourselves. That's what he's saying here. He's saying value others above yourselves. Treat this lady, treat this man like they are the most important person in the room. Now, some of you are married here this morning. You're like, whoa, hold on a second, Dave. That would make an imbalance. Like if I kept doing that, she would be here and I'd kind of be down here. Or if I kept doing that, he would, you know, so I, I think maybe we should aim more for 50-50. Uh, you know, kind of maybe meet in the middle there. But, but think about it, 50-50, that's a business contract. That's, that's a deal that's been made. That's a line down the middle. That's, that's Dwight and Jim in the office putting pencils down their desks saying, hey, this stuff's mine and this stuff's mine. Don't mess with my side. And yet some of us do that in relationships. We kind of build this, this 50-50. And listen, I'll, I'll do that. I like what Dave's saying. I'll do that. But you better do this first. <laughs> yeah, I'm willing to do this. But did you hear what he said? Because I want to make sure that you're doing it too. And I'll take a step in your direction if you'll take a step. And we kind of negotiate. And, we, and Paul's saying, no. That's not how it works in relationships. That's how it works in business agreements. Mutual submission is making that decision to say, I'm going to live in such a way that my spouse feels like he or she is the most important person in the room. Because think about it. Think about the times that you've been in that situation when you've been the most important person in the room and how it felt. It's awesome, isn't it? Have you ever been to, a, uh, maybe you were the guest of honor somewhere, maybe you go to a really nice restaurant and they, they seat you down and the, the guy puts the napkin on your lap and you're like, whoa, fancy. I, I, and you kind of feel special, don't you? Maybe you go to a nice hotel and they, they, you know, they, they really make you feel special. You know, as a pastor, I, I speak here pretty much every Sunday, but from time to time, I get invited to speak at other churches, and, and it's great. I love it. It's a great honor, and um, sometimes I'll arrive at some of these other churches, and as I arrive, someone will be there, and they'll greet me, and they'll say, oh, Pastor Dave, we're so glad you're here this morning. Let, let me take you back to the special room we have for you, and I'm like, special room? Wow. I've got a special room at Connect. So uh, we, we go back to the special room and there's this, you know, this water there for me and this, you know, they might have some snacks and they've got the red M&Ms that I specifically said. I only want red M&Ms. Uh, but it's, it's great. I go to these places and it kind of makes me feel special. And then I come back here and they say, hey, stop eating the donuts. And uh, I get reminded of who I really am. But, um, but I go to these places, and there's just it, there's something about it. And we've all been there in an environment where we're, we're treated well, and it's just, it feels really good. And we, as a spouse, as a partner in these relationships, we have the opportunity to treat our wives and to treat our husbands in this way. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, you should be esteeming the other person, submitting to the other person. And imagine what your marriage would look like if both of you treated each other that way. If you were both acting that way, it would just be building and building and building. And you might be sitting here this morning thinking, but Dave, I think that's a little bit unrealistic. That's, you're kind of asking for a bit too much. Well, before you say that, let me carry on reading what Paul said about Jesus. Because listen to what Paul continues to say about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. He says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. 
You know, if there was ever a person who walked this earth who deserved to be treated with respect like a VIP, it was Jesus, who, as it says here, was in the very nature God. Everywhere he went, he literally had thousands of people come out to see him. He healed the sick. He performed miracles. He was the most important person in the room. And yet we never see him take advantage of that. As you read about the life of Jesus, you never see him take advantage of that. You never read that he entered the room and he said, Hey, I'm going to need you all to scoot down a little bit because I'm Jesus and I want to sit in the middle. Come on, scoot down, scoot down. We don't, do we? We never see him say, hey, you know, um, tell the people to go out and uh, kill some animals, prepare a feast, and if they ask why, say, Jesus and his squad are here, we're hungry, and we're ready to eat. You don't see that. He doesn't lord it over people. In fact, Paul explains that he did the opposite. In Philippians, it says that he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He never leveraged his own status for selfish advantage. This is the example when Jesus says, love one another in the same way that I've loved you. This is the example that Jesus is setting for us in how we should love one another. He never leveraged his own, self, his own status for his own selfish advantage. He never pressed the God button just to get his own way. And why didn't he? Because he was there to build relationships. He was there to build the bridge between us and him. He was there to reach people and to introduce them to his heavenly father. So Paul is saying here, listen, you can argue, you can fight, you can spend years trying to get your own way and you can try and prove that you're right or, or in your relationship with one another, you can have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. See, here's where Paul makes it hard for us. He's not asking us to do something that seems um, extreme, seems like a bit tough for us. And we're like, Paul, that's kind of impossible for anyone to do. He's saying, listen, not only am I asking you to have that kind of relationship with one you love, I'm actually asking you to follow the example that Jesus himself set. He's already done this. He's already gone in humility and esteemed those above him when if there was ever anyone who deserved to be selfish and say, no, it's all about me, it was Jesus. Paul's saying, treating our spouse like he or she is the most important person in the room, that's what will make a difference in your relationship. Striving to submit and to serve him or her in whatever way possible, that is what will make a difference in your relationship. That's what will help us stay the long road. And that's tough, but I think that's something we can all do. We can make that decision and say, this week, I'm going to try really hard to, to treat my spouse like she's the most important person in the room, to lift her up, to, to do whatever I can. I'm going to make sure that for my husband, I'm going to do everything I can this week to help esteem him. And if we both do this, we'll see this um, impact our relationship. And it sounds so simple, doesn't it? But the other thing I kind of came across this week that I want to explain a little bit is that as simple as this is, where it gets complicated is this, this isn't taking place in a controlled environment. This would be so easy for this to happen, so easy for this to happen if in this world we all lived in, every one of us had these strong pure, full hearts with no relational um, issues, no baggage whatsoever. But that isn't the case, is it? 
For every one of us who came into um, a romantic marriage relationship, something came with us. You could have grown up in a wonderful family and, and everything was great. You could have grown up in a very difficult family. You could have come from a previous relationship that didn't work, it out, work out as well as you'd hoped, and this could be your first relationship. But every one of us, when we arrive at that state of marriage, there's something that we bring with us into that relationship. And that's what's difficult. We're saying we want to follow Paul's advice, and we want to submit to one another, and we want to lift up our spouse, and we want them to feel like the most important person in the room. But in the mix is the fact that we ourselves, we're, we're, we're broken. There are things inside of us that cause problems. So I'm going to illustrate this to you here this morning. I'm hoping that in seeing this, this will help explain it more. I saw another pastor give this illustration once, and uh, I thought it was very powerful. It's a very great illustration to watch and will help you understand things. So I'm going to introduce you this morning to uh, a couple of friends here of mine. Okay, let's turn them around here. This is Mr. and Mrs. Mug. Okay. There they are. They look good, don't they? That's uh, Mr. Mug. Hello, Mrs. Mug. Hello. Okay, so there they both are. <laughs> Casey's late, Dave. Don't, don't do that. Don't speak in the mug voices. Now, before I explain about Mr. and Mrs. Mug, let me, let me kind of give you a little illustration here of how, um, depending on the different upbringings you had, the different backgrounds you came from, how relational conflict can come in. What I'm going to do, um, at the permission of Mrs. Jane here on the front row, is, is share with you the very first argument we ever had. It was a big one. It was a doozy. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you this morning what happened. We'd been married um, maybe a month or so at this point, and um, it was one particular day. I was, I was ready to leave, and um, I, I had about five minutes before I had to leave, so I was looking for a shirt that I had planned on wearing that day, and I, I couldn't find it, and um, I'd been looking around because I knew that I'd put this shirt, you know, in the wash a while back, so I was surprised that it wasn't where I expected it to be. And then I said, hey, Case, I'm, I'm looking for this shirt. Where is she? She goes, oh, it's, it's hanging up in the closet. So I went and grabbed it and uh, discovered it hadn't been ironed yet. Yeah. So um, I said, Case, this, this is odd, but the, the shirt's hanging up in the closet, but it's not been ironed. And she's like, well, no. I'm like, well, why is that? She said, well, you know, what... what what I grew up doing is we would, you know, do our laundry and we would wash, we'd hang everything up. And then when you needed the item to wear, you would take it out ahead of time with plenty of time to spare and iron it. And then it would be freshly ironed for the day. I said, really? That's weird. I said, uh... <laughs> she's like, why? I said, well, I'm, I mean, I'm just saying, you know, that I... my mum, she would iron all the shirts at the same time and they'd all be ready. And she's Casey's like, Really? <laughs> So go live with your mom. But um, it, it, it kind of escalated from there. And I think some of you already are seeing some of the problems here. The, the first major problem being, why are you asking Casey to iron your shirt? And that, that was a large problem. And that's, you're, you're sitting there thinking, wow, Case, 18 years, you're still with him. Good job. So, um, but the biggest part of the, the, the confrontation that day, the, the differences, was that, that she had one set of expectations, I had another. And in that moment, those expectations clashed. I, I kind of was used to my shirt being ironed and ready, and she was used to ironing your own shirt. So um, this, uh, this was a great, you know, kind of learning experience for us as a couple, and we're still happily married today, and uh, the shirt is nicely ironed. Thanks to, uh, I think, Casey, you did this one, didn't you? Did you do this one, actually? <laughs> Have I ever ironed? She said, yes, yes, she definitely did this one. So, um, so moving back to Mr. and Mrs. Mug. Okay, let's get the attention off of me and back to the mugs here. So, so Mr. and Mrs. Mug, okay, so um, this represents every one of us. 
All right, they've come into life together. They, they meet at college and they're like, oh, yeah, they, they, they like each other. Mr. Mug, he's got a lot going for him. He's, he's just graduated. He's got a great life ahead of him. Mrs. Mug, I mean, I mean, look at her. She's, she's beautiful. So, uh, so they, they decide, hey, listen, let's get together. And, and all the time they're dating and they're, they're engaged. They're very close to each other, you know, and they're, they're in love with one another. But they're very careful around one another because during this whole courtship time, they, they want to win one another over. So there are a few bumps here and there. But for the most part, you know, no, it's, uh, it's smooth sailing and they just love this relationship and then they get married and they get married and they move into the most intimate of relationships for the very first time in their lives they are closer to someone than they ever have been someone else and something very unique happens they've, they've been married and they're, they're kind of getting used to one another and now they've been married several weeks maybe a couple of months and, and for the first time something comes up and, and as they're talking there's like a bit of a bump and they're like oh what was that? I didn't like what I saw there. What spilled out of you then? <laughs> and they get to see something they haven't seen before. And, and they kind of chalk it up to, well, maybe that was a, a one-off. But, but time goes on again. And then there's a, another bump and some more stuff spills out. And this happens um, a little bit more often. There's bump and bump and more stuff spills out. And, and Mr. Mug's like, what is that? What is that inside of you? And she's like, well, what's that? I didn't like what I saw come out of you either. And Mrs. Mug, you know, she goes off here and she's talking to her friend. She's like, I don't know about Mr. Mug, but uh, there's some stuff that came out of him. He's got this anger thing. And, and this thing happened the other day. We bumped and, and I saw a side of him I've never seen before. And I didn't like it. And Mr. Mug, he's talking to whoever he talks to. I'm not sure who he talks to. But he's, uh, he's like, yeah, and, you know, we had this kind of bump and, and this stuff came out. And I've never seen it before. And I didn't like it. And they, they kind of get back together and they start trying to figure it out. And Mr. Mug's, Mrs. Mug's like, I didn't like that. I didn't like what came out of you in that moment. He's like, well, you shouldn't have bumped me. It only came out because you bumped me. It's, it's your fault. And she's like, no, it's your fault that this came out of me. These pink beads, they came out of me because you bumped me. And this kind of blame game starts, doesn't it? It starts to build up in the relationship. And we're kind of chuckling because we think these mugs look funny. But we're chuckling because we're like, yeah, I can't remember when that happened to me. And it's not bad that the beads spilled out. That's going to happen in relationships. The problem is with Mr. and Mrs. Mug, and the problem is with us, is that we look at those beads spilling out, and we look at what we like, and we don't see, or we look at what we see, and we don't like, and we think, you know what? That was your fault. When you bumped me, that's why that came out. Whereas in actual fact, that's not the truth at all, is it? These blue beads came out because these blue beads were inside. The pink beads spilled out because the pink beads were inside. We have a choice when we hit these relational bumps. We can point to our spouse and say, you did that. You brought that out of me. It's because of you. I never used to be angry before I met you. And now I find this coming out. And the reality is you never used to be in this kind of relationship before. This is the most intimate relationship you've ever been in. And we can point the finger and we can say, this is your fault or... We can listen to the advice of a very wise man by the name of Solomon. Solomon lived many years ago and he wrote um, a bunch of proverbs. And one of those proverbs says, Above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. Everything we do flows from our heart. 
And as we come into these relationships, these marriage relationships, maybe you're newly married. We've got some babies here. So I know there's some, some people who are just starting the journey here in marriage. And we've got some wonderful people here who are very far down the road in their married lives. But the reality is where, wherever we find ourselves, when we came into those relationships, we brought some things with us. Some things that were in our hearts. It could have been some good things or some bad things. It could have been from a good upbringing or a bad upbringing. It could have been from this, that, or the other. Whatever it is, it was in us. And Solomon's saying, listen, guard your heart because everything you do will flow out of it. And you have a choice in those bump moments to say, that was your fault. You did that. You brought that out of me. Or you could say, you know what? That's inside of me. Now, I actually, I wish, and maybe this needs to be another series because I could speak so long about this idea of what's in our hearts. How did it get there? How do we guard it? How do we, how do we get it out of there? How do we protect others from what's inside of us? And, and really, I think that needs another series altogether. But for today, in the context of this message, as we're trying to submit to the, the ones in our lives that we love the most, to lift them up, to treat them with honor and respect, let me challenge you that when those bumps come, when she causes that stuff to spill out of you, when he causes that stuff to spill out of her, in that moment, choose to realize, you know what? This is stuff that was in me. God, I need you to help me deal with some of this baggage that I've brought in. I'm not going to blame them. I'm going to look inside and say, God, I want you to help me be the best person. In fact, this, this, this lady that I love, this guy that I love, he's actually helped to, to reveal some stuff that I didn't realize was even there. So God, rather than putting that back on them, I'm going to say, God, help me. Maybe you're a spouse and, and you're going to say, I'm, love, honey, I want to help you. I want to help, you know, this anger thing. I want to help you grow in that area. But rather than blame the other, look to yourself and say, how can I guard my heart? How can I listen to what Solomon said there and guard my, my heart from this, this heart problem? To get to the situation where we say, you know, when I get bumped and the beads spill out, this wasn't her, this wasn't him. The problem was inside of me. Identify it and look for a way to, to resolve that. So let me finish with this last story. Um, you know, was, next week we're going to kind of move away from the romantic relationship and talk about um, just relationships as a whole, like, uh, you know, workplace relationships, family relationships, and then we're going to move into um, just our love for God himself. But before we leave the idea of romantic relationships, I just want to really um, send you home with this thought today. Because Casey and I, we've been married 18 years. In fact, we had a situation um, just recently. I was speaking to someone, and he was going through some stuff, and he actually talked about a picture that he'd seen of Case and I and the kids on Facebook. And he's like, yeah, and, you know, this difficult time I'm going through. And I remember seeing your picture thinking, man, I wish I could be, you know, like Dave. And I was like, oh, buddy, don't. <laughs> don't wish that. That's, that's the highlight reel. <laughs> you know, we've got our own set of circumstances that we're working through, and we're not. You know, sometimes I think we see these pictures online, and we think, man, I wish I had that kind of relationship. But the reality is every one of us on a daily basis have to fight for the relationships we've had the relationships that we're in. I love that it's a baby dedication service today because we've got these wonderful kids here who, who kind of build on that and say, I, just, I don't want to just have a great relationship for the sake of my spouse. I want to have a great relationship for the sake of my kids. I want them to grow up and, and see mom and dad in love with each other and working through these things. Mom and dad treating each other with respect and honor. Dad treating mom like she's the bride and, and mom treating dad like he's the most important person in the room and just that mutual submission taking place. 
So let me close with this, this story. There was a book um, I read about just recently. It's a book by the name of an author by the name of Marcus Buckingham. And it's, uh, the title is The One Thing You Need to Know. So in this particular book, it's a business and management book, and it talks about different areas of our lives, and it talks about the different areas of our lives, the way we have to really just kind of focus in on that one thing. So in business and management and leadership, he's, he's going through these different disciplines and different areas and saying, listen, if you can just dial it down, if you can just narrow it down to this one thing and concentrate on that, you'll find success in these different areas. Well, the chapter I read, there was a, a whole chapter just on marriage. And he talks about marriage in his book. And he talks about the one thing you need to know to have a successful marriage, to have a happy marriage. He focuses right in on it. And it's fascinating because what he does is he, he refers back to some research that was done many years ago. And this research was done by very educated, very clever people in colleges. And, and they were doing these studies to, to try and figure out what it was that would make a happy marriage. So, so the majority of the research had focused on unsuccessful relationships. This research had looked in on marriages that had broken up, marriages that hadn't succeeded. And the research was trying to figure out why that was. So in all the interviews they did and all the studies they did, they started to find some commonality between these relationships that were breaking up. And one of the biggest things they found, one of the biggest common denominators in all of these broken relationships was that the husband didn't really know the wife or that the wife didn't really know the husband. Love was blind. They got together, but as the, the relationship developed, it turned out that really he didn't fully understand who she was. He didn't really understand her strengths and weaknesses and values, and she didn't really understand who he was. And because of that lack of understanding, that lack of knowledge of one another, these researchers kind of deduced that that was the commonality here, and that's why these relationships were breaking up. So what they did, as many research um, organizations do, is they say, well, if that's why marriages are breaking up, then we need to do the opposite to, to guarantee a successful relationship. So they said, if this is why these relationships are breaking up, you need to know your husband inside and out. You need to know everything there is about your wife. You need to really get to know her. So that was the advice that these marriage counselors and these educators were giving to couples, saying, listen, you've got to really know your spouse. You've got to know everything about them. And that was the advice moving forward. But what Marcus Buckingham talks about, which is fascinating, is that he came across a study that instead of looking at bad relationships, it looked at good relationships. It looked at good relationships in light of these previous studies. So they chose this, this focus group of dozens of couples who'd been married 10 years or more, who in both cases, the spouse, the husband, and the wife both checked the box and said, yeah, we are happily married. We are in love. We would consider our relationship a successful relationship. But we see our relationship going on and on and on. So they started to interview these couples. And they asked some questions because they wanted to find out how well these couples knew each other. Would you know what they discovered? They discovered that just as much in the other couples, these couples didn't know each other. They started to discover that, that the husband didn't know everything there was to know about the wife. That he didn't know all about her, her strengths, her weaknesses, her values. They started to discover that actually there was a lot of similarities between the first set of people and the second set of people. All this time they thought that was the problem and now they're discovering that these happy, successful marriages had some very similar situations to the first set. So they started to dig a little deeper. They started to do these questionnaires and what they did was they started to question the spouses. So what they discovered was incredible. They discovered that it wasn't that the husband didn't know everything there was to know about his spouse or that the wife didn't know everything there was to know about her spouse. 
But what they discovered was when there was something that they didn't know, they always believed the best. They always thought higher in that situation. In fact, what they started to do is they started to ask questions of the wife. They said, you know, would you say you're a patient person? And she maybe said, no, I'm not as patient as I could be. Would you say you're a good mom? No, I'm not as good of a mom. Then they'd ask this husband the same question. Would you say your wife's a patient person? She's, oh, yeah. She's really patient. She's amazing. They'd ask, is, is your wife a good mom? She's a fantastic mom. She's the greatest mom you can imagine. What they started to discover in this research was the couples that were successful, in more cases than not, that the spouse thought more highly of his partner than he or she did of themselves. In fact, listen to this quote from the article. It says, One distinct pattern did emerge. In the happiest couples, the husband rated the wife, and it worked both ways, the husband rated the wife more positively than she did on every single quality. For some reason, the husband in a highly rewarding relationship consistently credited his wife with qualities that she didn't think she had. What Marcus Buckingham talks about here in this book, in the one thing is, listen, you may not know your wife inside and out. There may be things, even 20 years into marriage, that you're still learning about one another. But if you'll live a life where you are constantly believing the best, constantly just assuming the best all the time. When there's a gap there, instead of filling it in with assuming the worst, you're always believing the best for your spouse. It changes your relationship. He says, not how well you know each other, although couples who go longer together get to know each other better. It's how much you believe, how much you esteem, how much you treat that, that lady or that man in your life like the most important person in the room. So as we close out this series this morning, I want to send you away with that. Even this week, make that your homework. This week, say, I'm going to go this week and I'm going to work hard at just esteeming my spouse. Just lifting them up, treating them like the most important person in the room. I'm not going to blame them when something happens and, and say, that was your fault. I'm going to look at my own heart and realize where I went wrong. But I'm going to work this week at believing the best of my spouse in every single situation. Let's pray. Father, I just... Um, pray this morning, Lord. Thank you on the, the morning of baby dedications. Just what a great day, Lord, to celebrate relationships. The fact that we're praying with babies is because wonderful young couples have found one another and wonderful couples have made a commitment to not just one another, but to raise a family together, to raise these kids. And thank you for them. But the truth is, Lord, like that question at the beginning, you know, we, we live in a day and age where we see sometimes relationships that didn't work. Maybe there are some here this morning that as they're listening to this, they're, they're challenged because they look back at previous relationships where they wish they'd done this more. I pray, Lord, that they would know your grace and your mercy this morning, would know that the past is the past. There's nothing we could do to change that. You love us for who we are. You've forgiven us for the mistakes we've made. And that in moving forward, we can choose to live the greatest life possible. I pray for everyone, whatever relationship they're in now, whatever relationship they one day may come into, that you would give them the strength and the courage to, to live and to, to submit to one another in that mutual submission, to lift up the others in their lives as much as possible. With your help, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for being here this morning. Great to see you. Welcome to come join us any Sunday. Have a great week.
Um, we're actually in a series right now, if you're visiting today, and it kicked off last Sunday. It's called Love, the Heart of the Matter. And uh, we're talking about all aspects of love. And because we uh, started last Sunday on Valentine's Day, we thought, what better topic, what better subject to start on on Valentine's Day? So we, we kind of kicked off last week talking about romantic love and love in the context of relationships. We're going to continue a little bit on that today. And then next week and the weeks to come, we're going to look more at the kind of the broader picture of love as far as our love for God, His love for us, love for uh, all the people in our lives. So so uh, you're going to want to keep coming. This is going to be a great subject. But uh, as I say, last week we started out by talking about this romantic idea of love. The fact that uh, for some of us here this morning, we are in a, a relationship, a marriage, a commitment that we've made to a partner uh, for what we hope will be the rest of our lives. And uh, the idea we came up with last week, we actually talked about a movie. Uh, the movie was called Juno. And in that particular movie, there's a line, there's a scene, I should say, about two-thirds of the way into the movie where this young lady is, is sat talking to her dad. And she's sat talking out of the context of some broken relationships that she's seen all around her. She's herself the product of a uh, kind of a dysfunctional relationship. Her parents are divorced and remarried. She's in touch with another couple who uh, have their own relational issues. And she's just at 16 years old. She's seen all this around her. And she, she says to her dad, she says, Dad, I just need to know that it's possible for two people to stay happy together forever. Dad, I just need to know, is it, is it possible for two people to stay happy together forever? That's the question she asks her dad. And I remember watching the movie and seeing that scene and thinking, man, that is a very deep question. What a profound question. Because the truth is, I think many of us maybe at one time in our lives have asked that question. And the reason we've asked that question is because we've looked around, maybe at relationships around us. Maybe we've been impacted ourselves by relationships where, where that question has come to, to surface. Where we thought, man, I'm not sure if it's possible for two people to stay happy together forever. And yet the reality is that if we were all honest with ourselves, I think every one of us would say, well, even though I'm not sure if I can answer that um, question with full certainty, as far as my relationship as far as my marriage, I want to believe that it is possible. I want to believe that it is possible. And I want to believe that my marriage will be a marriage that will reflect two people staying happy together forever. And I think the reason that deep down in every, in, inside every, every one of us, that we, the reason we feel this way is because it's part of God's blueprint in our lives. God has created us this way, that, that we have this desire inside of us to want to stay happy together forever. God put that in us, and it's like a cry of our hearts. And even though we don't see it so much in society, in our own hearts, we say, yes, that's what I want in my life. So last week, we took a look at this, and in the introduction, we, we said, well, um, we do believe it's possible. Do you know, we, we think the answer is yes, we do believe it's possible, but it's going to take some work. It's not just going to happen by itself. And we turned to Scripture and we looked at what Jesus had to say. And we, we kind of started out our series and we built this introduction on this phrase last week where we said, listen, part of the key to success, one of the things to, to long-term relationships, long-standing relationships, is um, you're going to have to, to look at this word love in a certain kind of way. So last week, we determined that you've got to make love a... That's right, make love a verb. 
I thought someone might say a lot, and that would be good too. But no, make love a verb, okay? Because here's what we talked about last week. We talked about the idea that, that when it comes to love, too often in our culture, in our society, we look at love as a noun, an object. Love is something that I fell into. Love is something that in my relationship, we've just fallen out of it. It's a thing, and yet last week, we, we actually tapped into something that Jesus taught and said, listen, the key is to not look at love as a noun, but to look at love as a verb. It's something you do. It's an action. And we got this idea from, from Jesus. A guy by the name of John wrote one of the accounts of Jesus' life. And in John chapter 13, verse 34, he said, uh, quoting Jesus, he said, love one another. Jesus said, a new command I give you, and that's to love one another. Jesus was saying, you are to love, verb, one another. This is a doing word. There are things that you need to do in your relationship. You need to love this person. It's not something that you just um, can, can um, like a noun. It's a verb. It's something you need to do. So what does that look like practically in our relationships? And that's what I want to build on today. We kind of set that as the foundation last week. But today I want to say, well, how does that actually play out in our relationships? If we're going to love, verb, one another, how does that play out day in, day out with my husband, with my wife, with my future one-day spouse? What is that going to look like? How do we love one another? And before I answer that question, let me just uh, press the pause button here for a second, because you may be here this morning and be single. Uh, maybe this is uh, because you've not yet met the one uh, that you're hoping one day to marry. Maybe you're uh, um, sadly in a place where uh, there's a relationship that just uh, didn't turn out the way you were hoping it did, and now you find yourself uh, single here this morning, and you're open to the idea of um, a new relationship in the future. Or maybe you're just here this morning, like, you know what, I'm single, and it's by choice. I, I want to be single. I'm, I'm very happy right now in the place that I find myself. Well, please don't switch off in this message. Please don't think, oh, well, Dave's going to talk to couples. He's going to talk to married couples. Because although that is kind of the context of which I'm speaking on, every one of us can apply this in our lives. Every one of us can, can use this to help every relationship we have. Relationships with our parents, with our siblings, with our friends, with our neighbors, with our work colleagues. The way that we love other people can be taken out of what I'm going to speak on this morning. But having said all that, I want to really apply what I'm speaking on this morning to those of you here this morning who are in a relationship, who are married and saying, I want to be able to say yes to that question that was asked at the beginning, that a couple can stay together happy forever. So how do we do that? Dave, help me understand how that is even possible. Well, like I said last week, Jesus said a new command, I give you love one another as I have loved you. But he then went on to say, um, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So Jesus didn't just say, hey, listen, you need to love one another. No, he actually took it a little bit further. He said, listen, you need to love one another. And here's how. You need to love one another as I have loved you. So you can't take your cue from culture. You can't look around to your friends, your parents, your relatives, your, your neighbors. I'm saying, listen, when it comes to loving one another, here's how I want you to love one another in the same way that I loved you. And what way was that? Jesus loved us by sacrificing his life for us. His love, he, he, he gave up his life for us. He's saying that's the kind of love I'm talking about, that sacrificial, surrendering kind of love. That's the kind of love you need to have when you love, verb, one another. 
So a few years later, Paul comes along, and Paul's written a lot of the New Testament, and um, Paul builds on this idea of what it looks like to love one another, how we can apply this in our relationships. So Paul unpacks this a little bit more, and in Ephesians 5, verse 21, he, uh, he says this. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And Paul's actually talking about love here, what the love for one another looks like. He says, well, you want to know what love looks like? It looks like this. You're to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, if we're honest here this morning, that's a little bit of a tough word, isn't it? It's just a bit hard to swallow. We're not thrilled when we hear that word submit. It makes us kind of feel like we've got to give in or bow down. And um, I just don't know if I like that word submit. And Paul's saying, but that's the key. And maybe in your relationship, submit has had some, some negative connotations. It's, it's one of those verses. There is a verse where Paul says, wives, um, submit to your husbands. And maybe there are some husbands here this morning who are like, I like that verse. I'm going to print that out and laminate that verse. I think we'll, we'll hang that on the wall, wives, submit to your... But the truth is that even though Paul did say that, he was speaking to the wives. He had a lot of stuff to say to the husbands as well. There's a lot Paul teaches on about how the husbands should submit. In fact, there's actually even greater onus upon the husbands to submit than there is to the wives. Paul talks a lot about this idea of submission. And the truth is that every one of us this morning, wives, husbands, um, single people, that idea of submission, that's hard. It kind of goes against our, our pride and sometimes our selfish nature. But Paul's saying, listen, you want to know the key to a successful relationship? You want to know what it looks like to have a healthy love for one another? Then it's mutual submission. Mutual submission. Submission, it's submitting to one another. It's one person saying to the other, you are the priority in my life. You as my spouse, you are the greatest thing in my life. And the other spouse saying, no, 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 you. You are the priority in my life. This idea of mutual submission where both the husband and the wife are just saying, listen, I want you to be the most important thing out of my, in my life. Paul builds on this. You know, he writes later to another church, the Philippians. And listen to what he says in Philippians chapter 2 on this whole idea of, of submission in the context of relationships. He's speaking to the individuals here, speaking to you and I. And he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Philippians 2.3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. What he's saying here is that in all relationships, but especially in the greatest relationship of your life, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Don't be selfish. Don't focus on your needs, but focus on the needs of the one you love. Do something, love, verb something. Submit to the one you love. You know, as I was preparing this message, I was trying to think, well, what would that look like in, in my relationship, in my marriage? How does that play out day in, day out? I mean, I understand the idea of what Paul's saying here, submit, but um, what does that look like? Well, I had this idea. How many of you, uh, it's a silly question because I think we probably all have, have been to a wedding? I'm sure every one of us has been to a wedding, Yes. So when you arrived at that wedding and when you came in, whether it was in a church or outdoors or, or a hall of some sort, wherever it was, who was the most important person in the room? <laughs> He's driving home alone today. So who was, <laughs> who was the most important? The bride. Yes, of course. I'm, I'm sorry to tell you that I think the groom was probably a very distant second place because it's the bride. 
She's all dressed in white. She's beautiful. She's the last to come in. All attention is on her. It's her day. Do you know what? It doesn't matter how important you are. When you walk into that room, she is more important. You could be famous, a dignitary, but when you walk in, this event is about her. All the attention's on her. Maybe you've been in an environment where it's your boss at work or um, like one of the high-up guys in the company you work for. Maybe you've been in a room where there's a dignitary or a famous person and, and there's just kind of a sense of respect and you're like, wow, that guy's important. You see that guy over there? And, and people kind of treat him a little bit differently or her a little bit differently than everyone else in the room because they, they've earned this place of prestige. They are the most important person in the room. And when I was thinking about weddings and I was thinking about the idea of you know, someone famous or someone uh, high up in an organization in the room, the way you treat that person, the esteem that that bride gets, that's how we should be with our spouses. We should say, man, when I'm with you, you are the most important person in the room. You're the most important person in my life. I want you to know just how special you are, how important you are. You treat them with respect. This is what Paul says in Philippians as he goes on in that same verse, Philippians 2, verse 3. He says, um, In humility of mind, value others above yourself. He starts out by saying, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather in humility of mind, value others above yourselves. Treat your spouse like a VIP, like the bride at the wedding, like the most important person in the room. But those of us in relationships, maybe this morning we're like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. I'm not sure about that because if I do that, if I keep lifting up this person, treating them, then, then everything's going to kind of get out of balance. They're going to be like lifted up and really important and, and I'm kind of submitting. And I think relationships, I don't think they should be out of balance like that. I think they should be kind of 50-50. You know, I'm kind of more a 50-50 kind of person. You know, I want to make sure that this is all even. Well, the truth is, and I believe this, and I think Paul is teaching this, that's not how it works when it comes to love. If 50-50 is what you're striving for, you're going to end up with a contract. It's going to be a a business arrangement, an agreement, some kind of contract there. 50-50 is a line down the middle. It's saying, listen, um, I'm willing to do this, but only if you do that. And 50-50 is kind of drawing that divide, and it's saying, listen, you know, this is what I'm responsible for, but only if you'll do this. And and it it becomes more of a business agreement on a contract than it does a marriage. Paul is saying that's not how it works. He's saying, listen, mutual submission is making the decision that I'm going to live in such a way that, that you, my spouse, you feel like you are the most important person in the room. I'm not going to try and get to the middle or 50 50. I'm going to go all in here and try and make you feel like the most important person in the room. Because think about it. We've been there, haven't we? You know what it feels like to be that person. Have you ever been, like maybe it was a surprise party or it's a gathering in your honor or something like that and everyone's there to see you, how you felt? Maybe you've gone to a really nice restaurant, you've saved up some money, you've gone to this really fancy restaurant and for the moment you arrive, you're like, man, I feel pretty special. You're coming in, they're showing you to the table, they're doing that thing with a chair, they put your napkin on your lap, you're like, whoa, they're fancy. You know, or maybe you go to a hotel and like, oh, Mr. So-and-so, it's great to see you, you know, and it's just a great feeling, isn't it, when, when you're treated with that kind of respect, when you're lifted up like that. I, uh, 
I preach here most Sundays, and I, I love being here at Connect. But from time to time, I'm invited to speak at other churches, and we have people who come and speak here. And, you know, oftentimes when I go to these other churches, I'll arrive, and there'll be someone there to greet me. They'll say, oh, Mr. Jane, or Dave, it's great to see you. Uh, yeah, come on back. We've got a room specially for you. And I'm like, oh, a room specially for me? I haven't got a room at the middle school. This is nice. And they take me back and they're like, okay, we've got some water here for you and there's some snacks and there's the basket of M&Ms that you ordered. They're all red. We, we, we paid attention to you saying the fact you only wanted red M&Ms. They're right there in that basket. We'll come and get you and it's time. And I'm like, man, I could get used to this. Here it's like, hey, stop eating the donuts. That's, that's what I get here. So... <laughs> But I get, you know, and, and all of us have been in a situation like that where, where maybe we've been treated well, and, it, and it's a good feeling, isn't it? We like that feeling. So why wouldn't you want your spouse to feel that way? Why wouldn't you want to treat your spouse in such a way to lift them up, to build them up? And imagine, imagine what your marriage would look like if both partners, if both of you treated the other that way. If you did everything in your power to lift that person up and make them feel like the most important person in the room, and yet at the same time, they're doing the same to you. What kind of environment, what kind of atmosphere would that create in your marriage? Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, Dave, <laughs> theoretically, that, that's great, but let's be honest, that's a bit unrealistic. You know, you're married, you know that it's not like that. You know, no one could be expected to live that kind of life, to, to live at that kind of standard. But listen, Paul's not just throwing this out here as some kind of advice. Paul isn't saying, hey, you could try this and see what happens. No, Paul's giving us an example. Paul's saying, you should be this way. You should submit to one another, lift one another up, because actually someone has already demonstrated what love like this looks like. I'm not asking you to do something that's never been done before. I'm actually asking you to follow this person's example. Listen to what he goes on to say in Philippians chapter 2. He says in verse 5, In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Paul's saying, listen, I'm not just saying this is, how, this is a good idea. You might want to try this. Paul's saying, listen, this is how Jesus lived. We should love one another in the way that he demonstrated love. Because the truth is, if there was ever anyone who walked this earth who deserved to be treated like a VIP, deserved to be treated like the most important person in the room, it was Jesus. He literally was the most important person in every place he went. He healed the sick. He performed miracles. Hundreds, thousands of people showed up to listen to him speak and to see him. But you never once, in, in all four accounts of his life, you never once see him take advantage of that. You never see him once kind of, um, you know, live up to that kind of accolade that was sent his way. I don't remember ever reading that Jesus entered a room and he said to the people, hey, I need you all to scoot down just a little bit because I need to sit right there in the middle because I'm Jesus. Come on, scoot down, scoot down. I mean, right there in the middle. I don't remember ever reading about him arriving and saying, hey, you know, send people out to, to get some animals, kill the animals. We want a, a, a great meal. And if they try and stop you, if they ask who, say, hey, it's Jesus. Jesus and his boys, they're here. They're hungry. We want some special treatment. Get moving. Come on. You never see that, do you? In fact, Paul says the complete opposite happens. 
Listen to what Paul says happened. He says in Philippians there in that passage we just read that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Despite the fact that he was, he was God, the Son of God, living on earth, he didn't use it for his own advantage. He never leveraged his own status for selfish ambition. He never once pressed the God button and said, all right, we're going to do this my way. Why didn't he? Because he was there to build relationships. He was there to reach people, introduce them to his heavenly Father. And Paul's saying, this is why you should follow the example of Jesus. You can argue, you can fight, you can spend years trying to get your own way and prove that you're right and they're wrong. Or, in your relationships with one another, you could have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. If he could live that way as the Son of God, how much more could we, how much more should we serve one another in our married lives? Treating our spouse like he or she is the most important person in the room, striving to submit to them, to serve them in whatever way possible. This is the key. Paul's saying, listen, this is the example Jesus has set. This is the key to not just having a a strong relationship now, but to have a long, um, to stay together forever by serving one another, submitting to one another, lifting the other person up. So as hard as that is, and, and let's be honest, we're sitting here this morning thinking, well, Dave, that sounds good, but man, that's, that's going to be hard work. But it is something we could, we could try to do, isn't it? It is something we could leave in this morning and say, you know, I'm going to try that this week. I'm going to try and really lift up my spouse and really um, serve them, treat them well, you know, really lift them up, submit to them. And, and I think I'm going to see some things happen. But in an ideal world, that would be awesome. In an ideal world, that would be easy to do, problem-free, no, no difficulty whatsoever. But here's the deal. You see, the problem is, and I'm going to share with you now through a little illustration, the problem is that in an ideal world, that's very easy to do, but we don't live in an ideal world. See, the problem is that for every one of us, when we enter into a relationship, we don't come with a full, healthy heart, do we? There's this stuff that's happened to us in our lives. It could be anything. It could be good. It could be bad. But we've got some experience of relationships that we bring with us into our relationships. So maybe you grew up and it was a difficult upbringing. Maybe dad wasn't around. Maybe mom wasn't around. Uh, Maybe they were around, but there was a lot of fighting and arguing. Maybe you grew up and it was just a wonderful place. And um, just mom and dad were very much in love with you, but maybe there were some expectations put upon you, and maybe it was tough, or maybe they treated you really well. But whatever happens, every one of us, we enter a relationship, and we've got some context of relationship from our own upbringing. I'm going to give you an example to how this can be problematic in relationships. And the example I'm going to give you, uh, with the permission of my wife, is going to be the, uh, the very first arguments that Casey and I had after getting married. Yeah, I'm going to tell you that story. It's Live on video. Um, so, we've been married a couple of months and uh, happily married. This is the woman I love. Last Sunday, we celebrated our 18th wedding anniversary, which after I tell you this story, you'll be amazed that we got to 18 years. But anyway, so we celebrated our 18th wedding anniversary and um, 
it was, uh, it, I remember it was one morning I had to um, get a shirt out to wear, and I, uh, I knew I'd put it in to be washed a while back, and uh, I was looking for this particular shirt, and <laughs> already I've got some wives shaking their heads, so I'm going to keep pushing on here. So uh, I said, honey, I said, um, I, I, I can't find that shirt. She goes, well, it's hanging in the closet. So I looked, and I, I pulled it out, and it was hanging in the closet, but I said, I don't think this has been ironed. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just... <laughs> How did this turn into an argument? I don't know. So I said, I don't think it's been ironed. She goes, well, no, of course it hasn't. She said, you know, we, we wash the clothes, and then we hang them up, and then when it's time to be ironed, we iron them. And I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, that's, that's a problem. I've got to leave here in the next couple of minutes. She goes, well, you should have planned a bit further ahead. I said, well, the problem is, growing up, my mum used to, uh, <laughs> yeah, that was... <laughs> Seriously, Dave, she's still with you? She is. She's amazing. So I said, my mom, she, um, she would uh, iron all my shirts. So when I opened the closet, they were already there ironed. Oh, really? Well, maybe you should go live with your mom. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a great, you know, kind of bonding moment. And, uh, but here's the thing, okay? It was, I mean, obviously, we got several problems with this story. Number one, Dave, why were you even expecting that she should iron that shirt for you? I know, that was a, a problem of mine. But, but it, it was just a simple thing. You know, for me, I'd grown up used to the idea of the, the clothes being washed and ironed and put away. She'd grown up with the idea of they were washed, and then you ironed them as you needed them. Two very different expectations, but suddenly these two expectations collided and turned into our very first argument. Fortunately, we're still married 18 years later, and uh, I do iron my shirt every now and again. But Katie's fantastic. She's a, she is a brilliant wife. But here's how this, this creates these issues. So we're talking about this idea of submitting to one another, loving one another, esteeming your spouse. But the problem is we've got our own issues, and that causes this tension in our relationship. So let me illustrate this even further, okay? So I've told you the story now about me and Casey. I want to illustrate this even further. And I'm going to introduce you to um, a young couple here this morning. And uh, they're a great young couple. Their names are uh, Mr. Mug and Mrs. Mug, okay? So um, I heard a pastor teach on this once, and I thought that's a great illustration, a great way, great way of describing this. So I'm going to tell you the story here this morning of Mr. and Mrs. Mug, okay? So here's Mr. Mug. Hello. This is Mrs. Mug. Hello. So they're... Uh, they're in love, okay? They actually met in college. Mr. Mug here was a great young man. He had vision. He was, uh, got some great goals. He's graduated college now, and he's just got a lot of good things going for him. And Mrs. Mug, I mean, she's just, look at her. She's beautiful. So, I mean, it was, uh, it was meant to be, and they meet, and they fall in love, and they start dating, and they get engaged. And, and throughout their relationship together, they get really close, and they love each other dearly, but they're kind of careful, you know, because uh, you want to maintain this relationship. You want to uh, capture the heart. Blue, Mr. Mug wants to capture the heart of Mrs. Mug, and, and she wants to capture the affections of Mr. Mug. So, you know, they, they stay together, and then they get married, and they love being married. But, you know, as is the case with all of us, once you get married, this is a very different kind of relationship. For, for many of us, when we got married, it was the very first time we'd entered into this kind of intimate relationship. We're a lot closer with this, with this person than anyone else in our lives. We've never been this close to someone in our lives, and now we're married. And what happens like with Mr. and Mrs. Mug here and can happen with some of us is, is now that we're married and, and we love each other and we're together and maybe we kind of relax a little bit more about, around each other and, and something will happen and, and in our married life something happens and, and a bump takes place. And whatever that bump looks like, something happens and some stuff spills out. And Mr. Mug's like, ooh, 
what was that? What were those pink beads that spilled out? We haven't seen them before. And Mrs. Mug's like, well, I've never seen those blue beads, but uh, I'll, I'll keep it to myself. Maybe it was like this one-off thing. And then there's a, another bunk and, oh, what was that? <laughs> Mr. Mug's like, who are you? What was that that just spilled out of you? She's like, well, what was that that spilled out of you? I didn't know you had an anger issue, all that angry blue bees that just spilled out. And he goes, well, I didn't. It's you. You bumped me. That's why it spilled out. And, and Mrs. Mug, she goes off here and she starts talking to her sister, her friend. And she's like, you know, I didn't know that he had this anger issue. You know, we had this thing the other day. And, and Mr. Mug, he's over here. He hasn't really got anyone to talk to because he's Mr. Mug. And, um, He's over here and he's like, yeah, I don't know that was in there. I don't know what that's about, you know. And, and suddenly there's this issue because for the first time in their lives, they've, they've seen this stuff spill out. And it's become because they're in, in this brand new relationship, this intimate relationship that they've never been in before. They've never been bumped in this way before. and They've never seen stuff spill out. And what they start to do is they start to look at each other and think, you know what? I can tell you why this has never happened before. It's because it's your fault. She's like, I don't like this. I don't like those blue beads when they spill out. He goes, well, don't bump me. It's your fault because when you bump me, that's when it spills out. And it causes this tension and this friction in the relationship. But the truth is, and here's the truth that every one of us know. The problem isn't that Mrs. Bump, Mrs. Bump, hello, Mrs. Mug. The problem isn't that Mrs. Mug bumped into Mr. Mug. The problem is what's inside them. This isn't the problem, and this isn't the problem. The problem is what's inside of you and me. And it just so happens that we discovered what was inside Mr. Mug when he got bumped. That was in him. This stuff is in us. And sometimes we're not aware of it, or maybe we're aware of it, but we haven't shown it. But then in this most intimate of relationships, this loving relationship that we're in, some bumps start to happen, and some stuff starts to spill out. And in that moment, we have a choice to make. Because let me tell you this, I, the problem isn't that it spills out. That's in us. The decision we have to make in that moment is, am I going to point the finger and say, you're the problem? The reason that spilled out is because of you, the way you did this. You're, the way you, if you wouldn't do this or if you would do more of this, then that stuff wouldn't spill out. Or are we going to follow the advice of a man by the name of Solomon? Solomon was one of the wisest men that ever lived. He wrote a, a book in the Bible called Proverbs. And he says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, he says, Above all else, guard your heart. Guard your heart because everything you do flows out from it. That's what Solomon's saying. He's saying, listen, that stuff inside of you, you need to guard your heart because everything you do, that's where it's flowing from. So some of this stuff that appeared as a result of that bump, that was just stuff that was inside coming out. Now, I love to, honestly, I, I'd love to just spend hours this morning talking more about this subject alone. And maybe we'll do a series on this in the future about our hearts. How did that stuff get in there? How can we stop it getting in there? How can we cleanse our hearts from some of the junk that's in there? How can we protect those around us from that stuff kind of spilling out sometimes? There's so much that we can talk about with our hearts. But for this morning, in the context of this talk, in the context of relationships, the only thing I want you to remember this morning is in those moments, what flows out of your heart, you have a choice. Do I blame the one that bumped me, the one that caused it to spill out? Or do I accept the fact that that's in my heart? Say, so, you know what, I'm not proud of that. I'm not proud of that up here. But I recognize that that's not you. That's me. That's, that's in me. And I need to work on that. 
I need to find a way to get control of that or to get rid of that stuff. Some of that, that stuff that had nothing to do with you, that stuff that because of what happens here when I was a kid or because of this happened in a previous relationship or because of my upbringing, that stuff is in me. It's not your fault, it's me. And taking some responsibility, some ownership of that. Because this is what, honestly, we could, we could have a life where we're like, I want to submit to my wife, I want to submit to my husband, I want to lift them up, I want them to be the most important person in the room. But it just seems like every time I try, this stuff happens, and she does this, and then he does this. And, but in actual fact, if we'll recognize it for what it is, just the, 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 our own hearts spewing out, it'll help protect us from that emotional damage. Let me close with this, this one last thought, this one story here this morning. See, the thing is, and, and I, as I was preparing for this, I came across this, and uh, for me, it just kind of sealed the deal because obviously, Paul's challenges here. He's saying Jesus lived this way. He submitted to others. He gave up his um, uh, opportunity to play the God card and say, you'll bow to me, I'm in charge, and said, no, I'm here because I want to build relationships. I'm going to submit, and I'm going to serve others, and in doing so, he lifted others up. Paul's saying that we can do that in our married lives. We can treat our spouse like he or she is the most important person in the room. Lift them up, esteem them, respect them. We can make the choice to say, listen, when I get bumped, when these things happen, I'm going to recognize it's not necessarily your fault. Some of that stuff is in me. Yeah, maybe this situation brings it out, but I recognize that it's in me and I need to work through some of this stuff and we need to maybe as a couple work through this together. In closing, I want to tell you about um, a book I heard about. This book's called One Thing You Need to Know by an author by the name of Marcus Buckingham. This is a business book. It's a leadership book. And and in this particular book, he teaches on this, this subject, this idea of the one thing you need to know. And he goes through all sorts of areas of life, all sorts of disciplines. And basically, he's talking to um, people in the workplace and leaders. And he's saying, listen, in every one of these areas, if you want to succeed, if you want to do well, then you just kind of need to narrow it down to the one thing. And he looks at these different areas and says, if you can get this right in this area, this one thing, then you'll do well here, and you'll do well here, and you'll do well here. So there's a chapter where he talks about marriage. And I read that, and it was fascinating reading this chapter where he's, he's talking about marriage and what it takes to have a successful marriage. And, and really, just the whole idea of the chapter is nailing it down to just that one thing. Here's the one thing you need to know if you want to have a successful relationship, a successful marriage. It's a long chapter, it's it's awesome, but I I want to kind of just share with you the summary of what he comes up with. Because what he does is he goes back to some research that was done in some colleges and um, by some experts who were researching relationships. They were studying and they were trying to research what makes a great, successful relationship. And he said, for, for, for the most part, most of the studies that had been done up till that point had focused on um, broken relationships. These studies had focused on relationships that were bad, that had broken, that had um, not done well. And the studies were trying to diagnose what was it in common? What, what did all these relationships that fell apart, all these relationships that didn't work out, what did they have in common? Because if we could figure out what they had in common, we can counsel the opposite and lead to a successful relationship. If we can figure out what it was that broke the relationships, then we can figure out how to fix them. So in their studies and in their experiments, they discovered from these people they were interviewing who had broken relationships that for the most part, the commonality, the thing that all of them seemed to have in common was that one partner in the relationship just didn't really know the other person. That one spouse just didn't really fully understand who his or her spouse was. 
Maybe they fell in love and love can be blind at times, but as they stayed together and the relationship grew, they came to realize as they were questioned by these researchers that really they had no idea who this person was. They didn't really know who they were and um, what these researchers decided was this must be the problem. This must be the problem. These relationships are breaking down because these couples just don't really seem to know each other. So therefore, um, the key to a successful relationship must be that you really need to get to know your spouse. You need to figure her out. You need to figure him out. You need to get to understand them more. And then as you fully understand who they are, then you'll have a successful relationship. So for years, that was the the counsel they were given. Based on these broken relationships, if you'll do the opposite, things will be great. Well, Marcus Buckingham talks in this chapter. He says, you know, the fascinating thing, and he talks about the one thing for successful marriages. He says that he came across a study that was done from a group of people, and in their study, instead of looking at broken relationships, they actually looked at successful relationships. They found a group of couples who had been married for 10 years or more, who in every situation, the wife would check the box and say, yes, I am happily married and plan on staying with this man for the rest of my life, and the husband would check the box and say, I am happily married and I plan on staying with this man the rest of my life. Did I say that wrong? I did, didn't I? (laughs) I'm, I'm happily married. I plan on staying with this woman, my wife, for the rest of my life. So they started to look at these couples who were in love with one another, who were committed to staying with one another for the rest of their lives. And they started to kind of try and figure out what it was that they had that the other couples didn't have. So knowing their earlier research, that one of the very first questions they started to ask was, how well do you know your spouse? Well, do you know what they found out? They found out that these people didn't really know their spouses either. After 10 years of marriage, there were questions they were asking and and they've discovered that they actually didn't know each other that well either. There was a lot of stuff that they didn't know about one another. They were like, well, that doesn't make sense because that was the key to broken marriages, but these ones are surviving, so how is that? So they dug a little deeper. And here's what they came to discover, that even though the husband may not have known the wife as well as he thought she did, or even though she didn't know him as well, in every situation when asked... In every situation when the husband maybe didn't know the wife um, specifically in a certain area, her strengths, her weaknesses, her values, in every situation when he didn't know something, he always assumed the best. Every situation. If he didn't know for sure, he assumed the best. And they started to look at these couples and compare their answers, and it turned out that these happy couples, these couples that were successful together, what kept them successful was that in every situation, the husband and the wife, when there was uncertainty, when they weren't sure, when there was a gap there, they weren't certain, instead of assuming the worst, they always believed the best about their spouse. And this was the crazy thing. There were some times where they would ask the spouse a question and maybe they'd ask the wife and say, you know, do you think you're a good mom? And she'd say, no, I'm not really a good mom. When they asked the husband, do you think she's a good mom? She's a great mom. There were situations where the, the husband thought better of the wife than she did about herself. Where the, the wife thought better about the husband than he did about herself. Listen to this quote from the article. It says, one distinct pattern did emerge. In the happiest couples, the husband rated the wife more positively than she did on every single quality. For some reason, the husband, in a highly rewarding relationship, consistently credited his wife with qualities that she didn't think she had. These researchers discovered that it wasn't how well they knew each other, it was how well the husband and the wife filled in the gaps. 
thought the best of his spouse, was always choosing to believe the best about the other person, even if they didn't know for sure. I think that's a challenge that we can all aspire to. That's a very simple thing that we could take away this morning and live our lives in our relationships. So, you know, I'm going to make a choice to believe the best. I'm going to make a choice to, um, to, in every situation, always believe the best. You know, it'll build up my spouse. It's another way of esteeming and, and building them up, always believing the best, finding and seeking the best in them. Because the truth is, this whole idea of, of submitting to one another, it can be difficult. It can be difficult to live that way, to, to have the desire to want your spouse to feel like the most important person in the room is great, but to actually live that out day in, day out, that's, that's tough. But if you make that choice and say, I'm going to choose to believe the best, I want to believe the best. Paul teaches this in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, always be believing, always look for the best in those that you love. We can do that. We can do that. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, as we um, have been talking over these last couple of weeks about marriage and relationships and love, it's so easy sitting here in a room listening to this. It's so easy reading the words on a page of the Bible and thinking, yeah, I could do that. But the reality is that day in, day out in our married lives, we face just the... Um, the mundane at times, just the normal. We face different situations where we're bumped. Lord, I pray that in those times, we'll make that choice. Help us to always choose to believe the best about the ones we love, to always find the best in them, to always lift them up and to always be treating them like the most important person in the room. And I pray that as we do that and they do that in return, Lord, that we'll see our relationships be stronger. I pray for those, Lord, here this morning who aren't necessarily in a romantic relationship, but could say, yeah, God, I could do that in my relationships with my kids or with my siblings or with my uh, colleagues at work, whatever it may be. And then finally, Lord, I pray for those here this morning who may be, um, as they're listening to this, they wish that this is something they'd learned years ago because they're now looking back on a relationship that didn't work out the way they'd hoped it had. They're looking back on a broken relationship or a relationship that brings some pain. Lord, I pray that they would know that this morning your grace surrounds them, that you've forgiven them for the past, Lord. Help them to know that that is behind them, that now they have the strength to move forward, Lord. And this may be something they can apply to the future, but to let the past be exactly what it is, the past, to put it behind them and to move forward in your strength and your grace and your peace and help all of us to strive for the greatest possible relationships that we can have. In Jesus' name, amen.